0: While they're making their way out, while we're doing that, let me encourage you to grab your Bible, turn on your device, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, you'll find it there in the New Testament. We begin this morning a Christmas series simply entitled Hope is born. So over the next couple of weeks we'll be looking at the story of Jesus, the story of Christmas in the gospel of Luke. We'll return to Luke's gospel over the next few weeks over and over and over and we begin today with the foretelling of Jesus's birth to Mary. The angel Gabriel visits Mary. Now while you're turning there I want to show you a picture. This is Eugene Lang And Eugene Lang was a very wealthy, successful man who came out of Harlem. He went to a small elementary school in Harlem way back in the day. And he was invited, because of his success, to come back to his school in 1986 and speak to the graduating 6th grade class of this small Harlem elementary school. Unfortunately, by the time he comes back to speak to the class, the elementary school is not known for success. The neighborhood is riddled with crime. The dropout rate is high. The unwed mother rate is off the charts. The success of children out of the school is pretty poor. In fact, not many would even graduate, and many would be incarcerated before their 12th grade year. So he goes to speak to this 6th grade class, expecting to give them the same speech that anybody would give, you know, chase your dreams, do your best, the world is at your fingertips. But he said, as he looked out over the crowd, he realized that most of what he was going to say would not come true. Because he realized that the children in that sixth grade class had no hope. So spontaneously, on the spot, without doing a single bit of math or arithmetic, He said these words in his speech to that sixth grade class. If you graduate high school, I will pay for your college. Wow, what a statement. 61 sixth graders that day heard that statement in 1986. If you graduate high school, I will pay for your college. College. After the speech was over, the principal pulled him to a side, not knowing what he had said, what he thought about, the math in his head, and the principal reassured him that the dropout rate was high, that the cost probably wouldn't be very much, that it'll be okay, you didn't just ruin all of your businesses. Instead, Of the 61 kids who heard the speech that day, 51 stayed in Harlem and went through the school system. Of the 51 that went through the school system, 45 graduated from high school, 33 went to college, and he covered all their pay. Why? Because they had hope. They had something to look forward to. They had something to raise their chest and lift up their eyes and and go after. Brothers and sisters, I, I would say to you this morning... That the story of Christmas, the story of the gospel, the story of Jesus coming for us is the story of hope for us. We have something to raise our eyes and look at. We have something to organize our life around and our eternity for. We have something that will lift us in the dark days, hold us in the hard days, and pull us through when we're not sure where we're going. We have hope. And it's not hope that's just looking for a college graduation. It's hope that is sure of an eternal future. It is hope. The Christmas story is hope. And hope changes it everything. One theologian said, hope is faith standing on its tiptoes. It is looking and leaning into the promises of God, knowing they are sure. And we should state very clearly that the definition of hope in the world and the definition of hope in the church are two different things. A hope in the world is a wish, a prayer. I hope I roll sevens at the table. I hope she checks yes on the note that says check yes or no. I hope they still got my favorite pizza when we get there for lunch. Those are wishes. But in the Bible, in the Bible, hope is a sure thing in the faithful promises of God. In the Bible, we learn that hope is certain of what is coming. We don't hope with our fingers crossed and a rabbit's foot in our pocket, guessing that God will one day make it all right. We know for sure because our faithful God has promised and every time He has delivered. And so we hope for sure. We are certain. In the Christmas story, we find hope. Join me in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, and let us read about the hope of God. In the foretelling of the coming of Jesus. This is not necessarily the birth announcement that will come later to the shepherds. This is the birth conception announcement that the Savior is coming, that pregnancy will take place, if you will. Look with me at verse 30, 26, excuse me, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign forever over the house of Jacob, forever. And his kingdom there will have no end. Verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore a child to be born will be called Holy. The Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called Baron. Verse 37 For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray together. Father, we pray now this morning as we read over this familiar story. This Christmas story, the story of the Savior coming, the Son from heaven, the rescuer of sinners. Lord, as we read over this story that we have read and read and celebrated and pondered, Father, we pray. We pray because we know that your word is living and active and we know your spirit is in us and with us. And so we pray that even now we would see it again afresh and new. Show us again how beautiful it is, the story of Christmas. Show us again that this is where all of our hope lies. Father, teach us from your word that you are the God who brings hope. Lord, we love you and we thank you for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have in these words the long-awaited promise fulfilled. All of the promises of God throughout history, all of the Old Testament, all of the movements of God are culminating to this point where the Son of God will burst forth into this world. It is the time in which Jesus will come. And so we have in this foretelling of the birth, the very summary of all of the history of mankind up until this point. That God has been moving and working in order to send this promised Savior and so we have in this story the announcement, but, but what's interesting about this announcement is that I believe we can read it and we can see in the announcement to Mary that she will conceive, I believe we can see very clearly the good news, the gospel of Christ. I believe we can see even in the way in which God chooses to bring his son into the world, we see the gospel. We see hope For everyone. The very story that we just read is dripping with hope. It is filled with hope for you and for me. And so this morning, I want to show you how this text brings hope for all, that everyone is included in the hope that the angel brings to Mary. In fact, I want to give it to you in three categories this morning. First, I want you to see in this announcement the hope for the stranger. The hope for the stranger. By stranger, I mean one who's outcast, who's not important, who's left aside. The one who doesn't seem significant in the ways of the world. The one that we would not pick as the star of the show. In fact, I would simply say to you that even in the way God chose to bring His Son into the world, He is reminding us that He came for the lowly, for the broken, for the outcast for the stranger. Look with me at the text. Let's walk through it together. In verse 26 we read these words, in the 6th month. Now the reason why we read the 6th month, if you were to skip down to verse 36, you'll read these words and behold your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and is in the 6th month. So the date there is simply telling us it's been 6 months since verses uh, uh, verses 8 through 11 when Zechariah and Elizabeth got told they were going to have John. So he just kind of locates us for it. Six months after Elizabeth is pregnant, now the angel comes to Mary. Now let's continue in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now there is something going on here that we should definitely note. There is a peculiar way in which the Lord brings about this Savior, this messenger from heaven, this rescuer. There is a peculiar way in which God unfolds the Christmas story. The first thing we should understand in this peculiar way is that it is God who started this story. Look with me again at verse uh, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Now, brothers and sisters, that's good for us to hear. It is good for us to hear because we need to constantly be reminded that the Christmas story is not about us. The Christmas story is not about us. We are not the centerpiece of the Christmas story. We are not the centerpiece of the story of the Bible. We are not the centerpiece of the work of God. God is in control of this. God is moving on our behalf. God is the one who sent Gabriel to tell Mary. God is the one who sent His Son. Brothers and sisters, the beautiful picture of hope in the Gospel is this. While we were hopeless, God moved for us. While we were without hope, While we could not merit it, we could not earn it, we could not purchase it, we could not even allow ourselves into the presence of God, or He would not allow us into His presence because of sin, God moved. There is so much hope in the Christmas story, but we must start with simply this. There is hope in the Christmas story because God loves us. Because God loves us. I'm so thankful that the Christmas story is full of hope and it's not based on me. If it was based on my attitude, my abilities, my sinlessness, my righteousness, my holiness, there wouldn't be much hope in the Christmas story. But because the Christmas story is based on a God who loves us and moves on our behalf, no matter how I feel, no matter what I'm facing, no matter what I've done, there is always hope in the Christmas story because God sent His Son. God moved. Now we see that God sent Gabriel. Gabriel is mentioned with us three times in the Bible. You'll find him in the prophet Daniel describing and and giving education to the visions that they're having. And then you'll see him in the first part of Luke there telling Elizabeth and Zechariah that they will have John. And so every time Daniel comes on the scene, he's bringing the word of the Lord. He's bringing good news. He's bringing promises. He's bringing the divine plan of God unfolding. And so Gabriel is dispatched from heaven and he brings to Mary this Message, but I want to know I want you to notice why it's a good message for us. Why even strangers can hear this message, why outcasts can hear this message. Notice where he has to go to deliver this message. Look with me at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee, named Nazareth. Now I'll let you in on a little secret. If you were to read the Old Testament from cover to cover, from front to back, you'll never find the name Nazareth in the Old Testament. It is not a famous city, it's not mentioned. It's not around. In fact, if you were to pull up a map of Jesus' day, Nazareth is really a dot on the map, a stopping point for those traveling from Jerusalem to the coast. They're going to pass through Nazareth with enough time to make a pit stop, if you will. It's not important. It's not powerful. It's not well known. It's not in Jewish writing. We don't find it much. It doesn't show up till many years later in some Jewish writing. It's not significant in the world of the first century Jewish life. It's not significant to the roman empire it's not significant to the worship of the jews in the temple nazareth is a nowhere hit town in the northern part of galilee off the fishing pond nazareth if you will is selma alabama just a small spot just a dot not not real important in the hustle and bustle of today's world isn't it interesting That when God chose to deliver His Son, when God chose to bring forth all the promises of the Old Testament, when God chose to bring forth the King of kings and the Lord of lords, isn't it interesting that He didn't pick Rome, the political center of the first century? Isn't it interesting that He didn't pick Jerusalem, the religious center of the day? Isn't it interesting that He picked a dot on the map that most people in that day probably couldn't Fine. Brothers and sisters, let me remind you, there are no accidents in the sovereign plan of God. There are no coincidences in the hand of God. I I believe clearly that God picked this small city and this small girl simply to remind us God is after everybody and anybody and you're not too low for Him to reach you. You're not too far for Him to find you. In fact, the stranger that would be unknown, the stranger that would be useless to the world around them will be found in the story of the gospel announcement that anybody, anywhere, can hear the good news. Think of it this way. If we were to uh, have someone powerful enter into our society, we might pick the political juggernaut that is Washington or the cultural city of L.A. or the economic powerhouse of New York. We probably wouldn't say that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was going to be born in Orville. We probably wouldn't say that. But the Lord does. Why? Why? As he reminds us that he does not look at the way man judges the world. He does not look at what man says is important. God has a plan and he will move his plan. And it reminds us that even the stranger will be accepted into the Lord's plan. That even the outcast can find their way. Now notice with me verse 27. Because the story unfolds with this idea of outcast and stranger even more startling. Not only did he pick an odd city for this to take place. An odd town. But look at verse 27 to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now you'll notice that we get a little bit of history of Joseph's family. We know that Joseph is in the lineage of David, that he can trace his Jewish roots back to David, which is important to fulfill the prophecy of Scripture, which is important to make sure that all of the plans of God are in line and all of His promises are fulfilled. But did you notice whose family we didn't hear about? Mary's. We don't know anything about Mary's family. We'll learn a little bit later on that she's got a cousin named Elizabeth who's an old maiden that got pregnant because God did a miraculous work. But other than that, we don't know really anything about Mary. We don't know her pedigree. We don't know where she's from. We don't, ne- or we don't know what family she's from. We don't know her education level. We don't know her economic level. We don't know anything about her. This small town girl from a small town village that is seemingly unknown will give birth to the most famous person in all of history. What an interesting detail for the Lord to give us. What an interesting thought for us to ponder that the Lord will choose Mary, notice what the text says, she's betrothed to be married, that means she's in a legal binding marriage contract. Her, her father and Joseph's father have worked out the deal. They've signed the document. A bridal dowry has been paid. He's not purchasing a slave. He's simply paying back to the father of the bride who will lose one of the workers of the field to a, a family that will gain one. He's, he's paying for the economic loss of losing another hand to help. Um, so he's, he's paying that, and, and a time frame will take place. But they're in a marriage contract. They are, in the eyes of Jewish law, married except for consummation. They are married together, and apart from a divorce, they cannot be separated. And So they are in the contract of marriage, but the Bible says that Mary was a virgin. That means that she was a young girl of marrying age that the word virgin literally translates knew not a man. So She would be a young teenage Jewish girl that was ready to marry and had already found a husband and had been betrothed to Joseph. Now think about this for a moment. If you're about to bring in the most famous person in all of history, don't you think that you would make sure his mother was groomed by the best education? Don't you think that they would pick maybe the high priest's daughter to bring the baby into the world or the king or governor's daughter to bring the baby into the world? Was it not Moses that was raised by Pharaoh's daughter? Couldn't we at least get a Pharaoh to raise this great and marvelous child? Wouldn't it be someone who maybe owned a thousand vineyards and cattle on the hill, rich, maybe like Job, in order to bring this baby into the world so it will have everything it needs? No. Jesus is born to a young teenage girl who's going to marry a carpenter in a small town that nobody knows. We don't know nothing about her family. He will not have, if you will, the proverbial silver spoon in his mouth. Can I tell you something? I'm thankful the Lord brought it about that way. Because it reminds me, let's be clear... There's no reason to begrudge those who are born into wealthy homes. There's no reason to begrudge those who pursue education. There's no reason to begrudge those who do wonderful and powerful things and influence society. But because the Lord Jesus chose a small girl from a small village married to a young man who knew one know, it is a reminder to us that the stranger, the outcast, the gospel will reach anyone. It is a reminder to us that the hope of Christmas is for all. Think about how much work God is doing to show us that the lowly will be accepted by Him. Everyone is invited into the kingdom. We find in this birth announcement hope for the stranger. Hope for the outcast. Hope for the one who is moved aside. Look at verse 28 and 30. Finally, Gabriel will speak. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favor one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting is this. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now the interesting thing here is that Gabriel speaks to her and Mary doesn't understand why. We can all understand why Mary doesn't understand why. Why in the world would an angel from the Lord, from heaven, from the realm of glory, why would the angel who spoke to Daniel show up in my little village, in my little home, just because he wanted to tell me that God favored me? Can I tell you something wonderful about that sentence? Notice what Gabriel says to her. Mary, oh favored one. He doesn't call her Mary. He calls her favored one. He changes her name in the conversation. He says, I'm not going to call you Mary. Mary, I'm going to call you favored one. And why does he call her favored one? Look there in the text. Notice what it said. Because the Lord is with you. Listen to me now. Don't miss this. Here's the beautiful hope for the stranger, for the outcast, for the one who's unknown. When the Lord knows you, you are favored. When the Lord knows you, you are blessed. It doesn't matter if you're not from the biggest city or the most powerful family. It doesn't matter if you don't have influence or economics or education. It doesn't matter if the world doesn't listen to you. It doesn't matter if you're not the trendsetter of your big city. What matters is if the Lord knows you. We find hope in this text. Why? Because we are reminded again that while man may look at the outside, God looks at the heart. And God said, Mary, you are favored. Isn't it good? Isn't it good to know that while I may not be real special in the eyes of the world, just a country boy from Randolph, oh, I, I got a couple of degrees, but I couldn't tell you how much they cost or how I got through them. Thankful for good proofreaders that pulled me along the way, but don't have a lot to show. Don't have a lot of things to tell the world. Don't have a lot of influence in the nations, but here's what I got. I got a king that says, I love you, Corey i got a Savior that says, you are favored. You are my son. You are the one whom I have rescued, and now you belong to me, and I belong to you. Isn't it good to know that there's hope for the stranger in the gospel of Jesus Christ? He tells Mary, don't be afraid. She's startled. She has no uh, idea what to do here. She realizes, why are you talking to me? I think you took a wrong turn. You probably were looking for the mayor's house or the governor's house. You, you probably were looking for the, the vineyard owner. You, you, you got the wrong Mary." He says, don't be afraid. You are favored by God. Psalm 138, 6 says, For the Lord is high, but he regards the lowly. What a great truth for us this morning. Secondly, I want you to see as the story unfolds, not only is there hope for the stranger, there's hope for the slave. The Bible tells us very clearly that when we are born, we are born in sin. We are born slaves to sin. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person is born under the banner of sin. And that sin is described in Scripture as slavery, as chains, as shackles. And in fact, he'll go on to say, Paul, in Romans 6, that that very sin will lead us to death. It will grab us and pull us into the pits of hell for all eternity. That rebellion from God, that we are slaves to To sin, Paul would tell Titus in the book of Titus, he would describe it this way, discussing his conversion in Titus chapter 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's how he described our status in sin. Separated from God, without salvation, we are slaves to sin. But I want you to notice what Gabriel tells Mary about who Jesus will be and what he will do. Or who he is and what he will do. Look with me at the text. Verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus, by the way, means Yahweh saves. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign forever over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there will be no end. Now notice how he describes Jesus to Mary. He is going to be a king that sits on a throne and he will never be dethroned. He will never be overpowered. He will never be overrun. He will never, his, his rule will never be abdicated. He will never give it up. He will never stop reigning. In fact, look, look at the words. It is not that his house will reign forever. It's not that his lineage will reign forever. It's not that his destiny or his dynasty, excuse me, will reign forever. It's not that his name will be passed down. It won't be king the first and king the second and king the third. Notice what it says it says in verse 33 and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now here is what the angel is telling us. The angel is telling Mary in this birth announcement, there is hope for the one who's enslaved to sin. There is hope for the one in desperate need of liberating, in desperate need of freeing from the chains and the shackles that pull us into hell, the ones that separate us from God. Notice what he says. He will be called the Most High God, the Holy One. Holy means set apart without sin. That He is God in the flesh come to rescue us. And so now, here's what Mary is learning in this birth announcement. She's learning this. That the baby she is carrying will be the king that liberates the captives. And once he liberates the captives, he will be on the throne and he will never lose his kingdom. And why is that good? Because, brothers and sisters, if he's liberated you from your sin, you'll never be entangled by it again. You'll never be captured again. There'll never be someone come along that will dethrone our Savior and pull us back into slavery. You see, the glorious news of the gospel is this. I need someone to free me from my sin, but I don't just need to be freed from my sin. I need to be kept from my sin. And that's exactly what Jesus will do as He reigns forever on the throne. He will hold me for all eternity. We see this promise in Isaiah chapter 9 in the famous Christmas passage of Isaiah. For unto us a child is born and to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there it is, there will be no end. He will reign forever. So the slave who is engulfed in sin will have liberation through the Savior, and this liberation will always last. It will never turn back. He will reign forever. I believe in the birth announcement to Mary delivered by Gabriel, we have first a hope for the stranger, for the lowly, for the outcast, for the one who feels insignificant. But then we have hope for the slave. One who's tangled in sin and broken. Brothers and sisters, let me share with you this morning the beauty of the gospel. If you find yourself in sin and you're separated from God and you're not sure that there is anything you can do to get free, let me guarantee you there is not anything you can do to get free. But Jesus has come to free you. Jesus has come to rescue you. Jesus has come to break the shackles that hold us down. Jesus has come to pull down the very grabbing of the enemy that holds on to us. And He will free us. And now that we are free, we live under the King who reigns forever. We walk under the King who rules forever. And we will never ever be grabbed, enslaved, or chained again to the shackles of sin and Satan. We are forever His because He is forever on the throne. Let me show you a third and final truth from this birth announcement, and that's simply this. Not only is there hope for the stranger and the slave, there is hope for the sinner. I want you to see what he does for us here in verse 34 and 37. The miraculous conception. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, a child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and is in the sixth month and with her who was called barren, For nothing, verse 37, is impossible with God." Now notice with me what Mary does. She is not in disobedience. She is not in doubt. She's not behaving as Moses did or Abraham did or even Zechariah in the first part of Luke. She's not trying to question God. She's just simply confused on the science. Lord, I'm not married. I've never been with a man. How is this going to be? Notice what the angel does. He does not rebuke her. He does not give her bad names. We don't see her being punished for her lack of faith. This is not a faith issue. This is just simply confusion. How can this be? Notice what the angel says there in verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and there a child to be born. Now we must note here a couple of things. One we need to note very clearly there is no Greek language here for any sexual conversation. This is simply the power of God, Acts 1.8, and the Spirit will fill you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. This is Genesis 1, and the Spirit hovered over the form of the earth, and God created. This is the idea of simply this: that God can create nothing, or excuse me, something out of nothing anywhere he wants to. God can do what He wants to do, that nature is not bound to Him, the laws of physics do not answer to Him, and He can speak, He can create, He can do in any way He wants to do. And in the womb of Mary, He will send the Son. Why? Because He's the God who calms the storms and walks on water and places the stars and forms man out of the dust. And if He wants to put the Holy Son of God in the womb of Mary, God can do that. He can do that. But notice with me what happens when He does this. It says, now he will be called holy, the Son of God. Now there is something very important here for us in the theological world. And that's simply this. Listen now, don't miss this. Jesus did not and could not have an earthly father. If he had an earthly father then the sin seed would have been passed down as it has been passed down since Adam. And therefore Jesus would not be fully God, but fully man. And being fully man, he would be broken into sin. But because he is fully man and fully God and God created in the womb of Mary this child sent from heaven, this placement of the Savior, then we know that He is holy. Notice what the text says. He will be called holy, the Son of God. Now, brothers and sisters, there has never been anyone else born of a woman that had the title holy. No one ever else came out of a womb and they were set apart and righteous and without sin. It is not possible for anyone to be made holy through man's seed. So we have here this miraculous work of God. But I want to show you one other reason why I think this is so special. Here's why I think it's so special. Because what we have in the Christmas story is that God can reverse the laws of nature. He can create something out of nothing. He can take the Son who reigns in heaven and place Him in the womb of Mary. And He is telling us, He's screaming to us, He's waving at us. There is always hope with a God who can create something out of nothing. There is always hope with a God who can take a sinful heart and rip it out and replace it with a heart of righteousness. A heart that beats for Him. Listen to me now. Don't miss this. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, whatever sin you may be entangled with, if God can put Jesus in the womb, He can rescue you from your sin. He can heal you from all your stripes and wounds and sorrows. And sickness and give you hope. Hope, brothers and sisters. If God can take an unknown teenage Jewish girl from a dot on a map and place the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings in her womb and save the world, He can save you. He can rescue you. He can transform your children and your marriage and your job and your home. There is always hope when we have a God who can make a virgin give birth to a Savior. There's always hope. There's always hope in the gospel. There's always hope in the good news. And so he tells us that the message and the miracle is simply this. God has come. I want to close by showing you what Mary does. How do we respond to such good hope? What are we supposed to do with this wonderful message of hope? How how do we respond to hope? Look with me at verse 38. Let's see how Mary responded. And Mary said, Behold, I am your servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The angel departed from her. That might be one of the most Beautiful and special sentences in the whole story. All of this is going to take place. All of this weird, miraculous, unheard of is going to take place to this unknown Jewish girl in the middle of an unknown little town who's not even married yet, who's never been with a man. And all of a sudden, she's going to be with child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Most High One, the One who will be holy, Jesus, who will save His people. She's going to carry Him, give birth to Him, and she is overwhelmed. The angel doesn't give her every detail. He just tells her what's going to happen. And her simple answer In verse 38 is this, I'm your servant. I trust you, Lord. Notice what happens. Gabriel leaves. He's done his job. Mary's responded in faith. It worked out. Gabriel departs. In fact, Mary will be the central theme of the birth narrative now with Jesus, of course, along the way. Mary says, I'll do it. I believe Mary shows us two ways we are to respond to the hope of Jesus. Simply this number one, we are to believe. We are to believe in the story. We are to believe in the hope of Jesus. We are to believe that it's right, that it's true, that we should follow the word of the Lord. Notice what she says Let it be according to your word. I believe you, Lord. I trust your word. You have spoken. You have said what you came to say, and your word is true, it's perfect, it's pure, it's all that we need. Lord, I believe you. Brothers and sisters, I think oftentimes we find ourselves in hopeless moments because simply we forget to believe what the Lord has said. We forget to follow what He's promised. We forget to obey the word that He's given us. That if we would just simply do and act and believe on what He has told us, we won't find ourselves so hopeless. We won't find ourselves so lost in the fray of this life. But I want you to see a second thing that I believe we must do. Not only must we believe in the word of the Lord, we must submit to the word of the Lord. Look at what she says. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Now that word servant there could be translated bond servant or slave. She's literally saying I'm, Chaining my life to the Lord. I'm chaining my life to this word, to this promise. Now, you got to understand, she would understand what's about to happen. If this story takes place as the angel has told her it will, and she believes that it will, she trusts the angel, she's about to be an unwed pregnant teenager in a small town in Israel. She's about to be in the middle of a PR nightmare, she's about to be in a marriage crisis. She's about to face the ridicule for her family and the shame for her her religion and her nation. There is a lot about to happen to Mary. And what does she say? Lord, I believe you and I submit to you. Now, this idea of submission gives us three beautiful thoughts. The first one is this. She submits to the Lord. When she says, I am your servant, she's simply saying, Lord, whatever you say, wherever you ask, whatever you call, I'll do it. Not only that, as she's saying, I'm your servant, not only is she so in submission to the Lord, but she's acknowledging that she's part of the Lord's plan. When you and I submit to the Lord, we're acknowledging that He's using us, that we're part of His team, that we get to join in the work of God. But I think there's one more beautiful truth by saying I'm a servant of God, and I don't want you to miss this. When Mary says, I'm a servant of God, I'm a slave of God, I'm a bond servant of God, you know what she's saying? I'm in the family of God. I'm with God. God. Now it's easy for her to say that. She was carrying God's only child. But you know what? That promise is for us too. When we come to Mary's child, when we put all of our life and hope and wants in Jesus alone, when we cast our sins upon Him, when we turn from our wicked ways, then we get to become His servant. We get to obey His word. We get to be a part of His plan. And we get to be in His family. We get to join Him. Mary was a nobody from nowhere, and God used her to bring hope to the whole world. Brothers and sisters, in the gospel, there is always hope. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I come before you now and I pray. I pray first for the one who may be here or watching online, Lord, that that they're not a Christian. In fact, even that word is kind of foreign to them. They're not sure what it means. They've heard it used a lot, but, but they don't know. Lord, they, they've never asked Jesus to save them. They've never turned from their sin. They've never cried out for mercy. Lord, even now, if they died, they would not see God. They would not go to heaven. They would not be invited in. They would be lost in the slavery of their sin. Lord, I pray this morning for the one who sits here, hopeless in sin, that they would hear in the birth announcement of Jesus hope, that they would turn to Jesus, that they would cry out to Jesus, they would ask Jesus to save them, to rescue them, to forgive them of their sin. Lord, I pray for the one who needs Jesus today. Father, I pray for the one in the room who finds themselves struggling over parenting or marriage or Job, relationships, health, finances. Lord, a lot of areas of our life we can certainly feel hopeless. We can feel beat down. We can feel overwhelmed. Lord, I pray in all of those areas of their life you would remind them that you're the God who cares about nobodies in nowhere towns. You're the God who sends a Savior to rescue the stranger and the slave and the sinner. That you build us up, that in you we have hope. That in you we have a name, we have a a destiny, a, a future, an eternity. That you are the king that's reigning forever. And nothing this world can do can rip us from the hope of all of glory in you. And so God, I pray for the one who's downtrodden and broken. That today, you would give them hope. In just a moment, brothers and sisters, we're going to stand and sing and I invite you, maybe you want to come and pray at this altar. You want to come and consecrate these steps. They're just steps, but you want to come and before the Lord in prayer. You want to come and pray with me. You want me to encourage you through prayer. I'd be glad to do that. You want to come and take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I, I need the hope of Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I want to be like Winton and confess my sins and tell the world I'm with Jesus. Whatever the case may be this morning, I pray. You would see the hope for everyone in Jesus. Father, bless us now as we sing and honor You and we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand and sing with us this morning?